Chapter Thirteen of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. The History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume One, by Eliza Haywood. Chapter Thirteen contains some part of the history of Miss Forward's adventures from the time of her leaving the boarding school as related by herself to Miss Betsy. Miss Betsy had now her head, though not her heart, full of the two new conquests she had made. Mr. Trueworth was strongly recommended by her brother, Mr. Staple by her guardian, yet all the idea she had of either of them served only to excite in her the pleasing imagination how when they both came to address her she should play the one against the other and give herself a constant round of diversion by their alternate contentment or disquiet as the barometer said she to herself is governed by the weather so is the man in love governed by the woman he admires he is a mere machine acts nothing of himself has no will or power of his own but is lifted up or depressed just as the charmer of his heart is in the humour i wish continued she i knew what day these poor creatures would come though tis no matter i have got it seems possession of their hearts and their eyes will find graces in me let me appear in what shape soever these contemplations however enchanting as they were to her vanity did not render her forgetful of the promise she had made Miss Forward, and as soon as dinner was over, ordered a hackney coach to be called, and went to the place Miss Forward's letter had directed. It is scarce possible for any one to be more surprised than she was on entering the house of Mrs. Nightshade. The father of Miss Forward was a gentleman of a large estate, and of great consideration in the country where he lived, and she expected to have seen his daughter in lodgings suitable to her birth and fortune instead of which she found herself conducted by an old ill-looked mean woman who gave her to understand she was the mistress of the house up two pairs of stairs so narrow that she was obliged to hold her hoop quite under her arm in order to gain the steep and almost perpendicular ascent she was then showed into a little dirty chamber where on a wretched bed miss forward lay in a most melancholy and dejected posture here is a lady wants you said the hag who ushered in miss betsy these words and the opening the door made miss forward start from the bed to receive her visitor in the best manner she could she saluted she embraced her with all the demonstrations of joy and affection but miss betsy was so confounded at the appearance of everything about her that she was almost incapable of returning her caresses Miss Forward easily perceived the confusion her friend was in, and having led her to a chair, and seated herself near her, "'My dear Miss Betsy,' said she, "'I do not wonder you are alarmed at finding me in a condition so different from what you might have expected. My letter, indeed, gave you a hint of some misfortunes that had befallen me, but I forbore letting you know of what nature they were, because the facts, without the circumstances,' which would have been too long to communicate by writing, might have made me appear more criminal 
than I flatter myself you will think I really am, when you shall be told the whole of my unhappy story. Miss Betsy then assured her she should take a friendly part in everything that had happened to her, and that nothing could oblige her more than the confidence she mentioned, on which the other taking her by the hand and letting fall some tears, said, Oh, Miss Betsy, Miss Betsy, I have suffered much, and if you find a great deal to blame me for, you will find yet much more to pity. Then, after having paused a little, as if to recollect the passages she was about to relate, began in this manner. You must remember, said she, that when you left us to go to London, I was strictly watched and confined, on account of my innocent correspondence with Mr. Sparkish, but that young gentleman being sent to the university soon after, I had the same liberty as ever, and as much as any young lady in the school, the tutoress who was with us in your time, being in an ill state of health, went away, and one, Mademoiselle Grenoule, a Frenchwoman, was put in her place. The governess had a high opinion of her, not only on the score of the character she had of her, but also for the gravity of her behaviour. But as demure, however, as she affected to be before her, she could be as merry and facetious as ourselves, when out of her sight, as you will soon perceive by what I have to tell you. Whenever any of us took an evening's walk, this was the person to whose care we were entrusted, the governess growing every day more infirm, and indeed unable to attend us. It was towards the close of a very hot day, that myself and two more went with Mademoiselle Grenoule to take a little air in the lane, at the back side of the great road that leads up to Lord Blank's fine seat. We were about the middle of the lane, when we heard the sound of French horns, double curtails, and other instruments of wind music. Mademoiselle at this could not restrain the natural alertness of her country, but went dancing on, till we came very near those that played. You must know, my dear Miss Betsy, continued she, that my Lord Blank's park wall reaches to the bottom of this lane, and has a little gate into it. Having it seemed some company with him, he had ordered two tents to be erected in that part of the park, the one for himself and friends, the other for the music, who sounded the instruments to the healths were toasted. But this we being ignorant of, and delighted with the harmony, wandered on till we came close to the little gate I mentioned, and there stood still listening to it. Some one or other of the gentlemen saw us, and said to the others, We have eavesdroppers, on which they quitted their seats and ran to the gate. On seeing them all approach, we would have drawn back, but they were too quick for us. The gate was instantly thrown open, and six or seven gentlemen, of whom my lord himself was one, rushed out upon us. Perceiving we endeavoured to escape them, they catched hold of us. Nay, ladies, said one of them, you must not think to avoid paying the piper, after having heard his music. Mademoiselle, on this, addressed herself to my Lord Blank, with as much formality as she could assume, and told him we were young ladies of distinction, who were placed at a boarding school just by, and at present were under her care so begged no rudeness might be offered. His lordship protested on his honour, none should, but insisted on our coming into the park, 
and drinking one glass of whatever wine we pleased upon which what say you ladies cried mademoiselle i believe we may depend on his lordship's protection none of us opposed the motion as being as glad to accept it as herself in fine we went in and were conducted to the tent in the midst of which were placed bottles glasses jellies sweetmeats pickles and i know not what other things to regale and quicken the appetite servants who attended cooled the glasses out of a silver fountain on a little pedestal at the one end of the tent and filled every one a glass with what each of us chose one of the company perceiving our conductress was a frenchwoman talked to her in her own language and led her a minuet round the table and in the meantime the others took the opportunity of entertaining us he that had hold of me so plied me with kisses and embraces that i scarce knew where i was oh the difference between his caresses and the boyish insipid salutes of master sparkish the others i suppose were served with the same agreeable robustness i was but i had not the power of observing them any more than as i afterwards found they had of me in fine never were poor innocent girls so pressed so kissed everything but the dernier undoing deed and that there was no opportunity of completing every one of us our tutoress not excepted i am certain experienced heavens cried miss betsy interrupting her how i envied your happiness a moment since and how i tremble for you now oh miss betsy replied miss forward everything would have been done in that forgetful hour but as i have already said there was not an opportunity my lover notwithstanding for so i must call him would not let me get out of his arms till i had told him my name and by what means he should convey a letter to me i affected to make a scruple of granting this request though heaven knows i was but too well pleased at his grasping me still faster in order to compel me to it i then gave him my name and told him that if he would needs write i knew no other way by which he might be sure of my receiving his letter but by slipping it into my hand as i was coming out of church which he might easily do there being always a great concourse of people about the door on this he gave me a salute the warmth of which i never shall forget and then suffered me to depart with my companions who if they were not quite so much engaged as myself had yet enough to make them remember this night's ramble the tutoress knew well enough how to excuse our staying out so much longer than usual and neither the governess nor any one in the family except ourselves knew anything of what had passed i cannot say but my head ran extremely on this adventure i heartily wish my pretty fellow might keep his word in writing to me and was forming a thousand projects how to keep up a correspondence with him i don't tell you i was what they call in love but certainly i was very near to it and longed much more for sunday than ever i had done for a new gown at last the wished-for day arrived my gentleman was punctual he came close to me in the church porch i held my hand in a careless manner with my handkerchief in it behind me and presently found something put into it which i hastily conveyed into my pocket and on coming home 
found a little three-cornered billet containing these lines to the charming miss forward most lovely of your sex i have not slept since i saw you so deep an impression has your beauty made on my heart that i find i cannot live without you nor even die in peace if you vouchsafe not my last breath to issue at your feet in pity then to the sufferings you occasion grant me a second interview though it be only to kill me with your frowns i am too much a stranger in these parts to contrive the means be therefore so divinely good to do it for me else expect to see me carried by your door a bleeding breathless corpse the victim of your cruelty instead of your compassion to your most grateful adorer and everlasting slave r wildly in a postscript to this pursued miss forward he told me that he would be in the church porch in the afternoon hoping to receive my answer by the same means i had directed him to convey to me the dictates of his heart i read this letter over and over as you may easily guess by my remembering the contents of it so perfectly but it is impossible for me to express the perplexity i was in how to reply to it i do not mean how to excuse myself from granting the interview he so passionately requested for that perhaps i wished for with as much impatience as he could do but i was distracted at not being able to contrive any practicable method for our meeting oh miss betsy how did i long for you or such a friend as you to assist me in this dilemma but there was no one person in the whole house i dared trust with such a secret i could not eat a bit of dinner nor scarce speak a word to anybody so much were my thoughts taken up with what i should do i was resolved to see him and hear what he had to say whatever should be the consequence at last i hit upon a way dangerous indeed in every respect and shameful in a girl of my condition yet as there were no other the frenzy i was possessed of compelled me to have recourse to it you must remember my dear miss betsy continued she with a deep sigh the little door at the farther end of the garden whereby your kind contrivance young sparkish was introduced it was at this door i determined to meet mr wildly this you may be sure could not be done by day without a discovery some one or other being continually running into the garden i therefore fixed the rendezvous at night at an hour when i was positive all the family would be in bed and ordered it in this manner chance aided my ill genius in my undoing i lay at that time alone miss bab who used to be my bedfellow was gone home for a fortnight on account of a great wedding in their family and i thought i could easily slip downstairs when everybody was asleep and go through the kitchen from which you know there is a passage into the garden i took no care for anything but to prevent the disappointment of my design for i apprehended nothing of ill from a man who adored me and of whose will and actions i foolishly imagined i had the sole command the settling this matter in my mind engrossed all my thoughts till the bell began to ring for divine service and i had only time to write these lines in answer to his billet to mr wildly sir i have been always told it was highly criminal in a young maid like me 
to listen to the addresses of any man without receiving the permission of her parents for so doing yet i hope i shall stand excused both to them and you if i confess i am willing to be the first to hear what so nearly concerns myself i have but one way of speaking to you and if your love be as sincere and fervent as you pretend you will not think it too much to wait between the hours of eleven and twelve this night at a green door in the wall which encompasses our garden at the further end of the lane leading to that part of lord blank's park where we first saw each other you will find me if no cross accident intervenes at the time and place i mention but impute this condescension to no other motive than that compassion you implore i flatter myself your intentions are honourable and in that belief am sir your humble servant a forward miss betsy during the repetition of this letter and some time before shook her head and showed great tokens of surprise and disapprobation but offering no interruption the other went on in her discourse in this manner i protest to you my dear miss betsy said she that i had nothing in view by this letter and the assignation it contained than to secure him to me as a lover i never had reason to repent of the private correspondence i carried on with mr sparkish nor knew it was in the nature of man to take advantage of a maid's simplicity but i will not protract the narrative i promised by any needless particulars everything happened but too fortunately alas according to my wish i found mr wildly in the church porch gave him the fatal billet unperceived by any one night came on all the family were gone to their repose and i unseen unheard and unsuspected quitted my chamber and taking the route i told you of opened the garden door where it seems the person i expected had waited above half an hour his first salutations were the most humble and with all the most endearing that could be my angel said he how heavenly good you are permit me thus to thank you with these words he threw himself on his knees and taking one of my hands kissed it with the extremest tenderness but oh let no young woman depend on the first professions of her lover nor in her own power of keeping him at a proper distance here a sudden gush of tears prevented her for some minutes from prosecuting her discourse and miss betsy found herself obliged to treat her with more tenderness than in her own mind she thought the nature of her case deserved. End of chapter 13